You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Welcome back to the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is, of course, Garrett Ashley Mullet coming to you from Greeley, Colorado for episode 531 of this podcast. Today is Friday, January 6th, 2023. And in this episode of You Had One Job, (laughs) we're going to be talking about the housing market and how it is very much uh, flipped, how the turntables also... Victoria's Secret CEO resigning after uh, one year of maybe some not so good uh, attempts to overhaul the image of the company or the messaging of the company. We're also going to be talking about what is being taught in our schools with regards to gender ideology and sexuality in places like Nevada and Texas and South Dakota and the whole United States, really. Also, a certain FBI agent, Elvis Chan, who was very influential in Twitter censorship. And last but not least, the thing which has all of our attention, which the whole world is uh, very curious about, (laughs) but especially here in the U.S., we are very concerned about and uh, wondering what will happen next the never-ending story of votes uh, not coming up in favor of Kevin McCarthy for the next Speaker of the House of Representatives. But first off, before we get to any of that, let's start with a little bit about my New Year's resolutions, New Year's goals, specifically goals that I have in Q1 of 2023. So I made several goals for the first quarter with my best self journal. And I'm already ready to drop a few. We're not even a full week into the new year, but I'm I'm already looking at some of these and thinking, man, I am just not probably going to do that. I haven't done it a single day. Like working out for 15 to 30 minutes. I haven't done it a single day. And yet that was something I wrote down because it seemed like a good idea at the time. Yeah, I would I would like for this to be a goal. I should make a goal of this being my goal at some point. But it's just not happening. It hasn't happened. It's not happening yet. And on the other hand, other of the goals, the more I look at them and think about dropping them, I think, no, I need to keep those goals. Those are good goals. And something's probably better to let go of in favor of keeping these goals. And one of those goals is to read a chapter of the Bible every day, starting in Genesis and just going sequentially in the way that the canon is laid out in most of our English Bibles, most of our Protestant Bibles anyways. That means that yesterday and today put me in Genesis chapters 5 and 6. And I'm going to read for you some of the Genesis 5 and 6 goings on. And uh, then I want to talk about what it is that I think is important out of these two chapters. Starting from the top, this is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, 
He made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. Full stop. Let's wait. Before we go on, what in the world, right? Those who have been raised with indoctrination in the government schools, in secular humanism and evolutionary presuppositions, look at this and they think, that's it. I can't do it. This is ridiculous. This is absurd. If you're going to start off like that, I just, I can't go with you any further. And the folks who want to say that Genesis is all allegorical, you know what? You're trying too hard. You're trying too hard to square the circle with regards to making it all work together. You're letting go of the law of non-contradiction. You're wanting all these things to work together. If you're trying to read theistic evolution into this, and if you're trying to read the assumption in that it's all been the same since the beginning, that's just not the case. For one, we don't want to assume that it's all been the same from the beginning, because for one thing, (laughs) for starters, uh, what do you do with explaining how sin and death entered into the world? Uh, not just in Genesis, but all throughout the rest of the biblical narrative, you've got to deal with where did sin come from? Where did evil come from? Where did death come from? If you're going to get to a restoration of man living forever, if that's going to be perceived as man actually living forever, where does it stop? If you start reading it all as allegorical, then you might as well just not even believe it, right? But if in the beginning man was made to live forever and now we don't we don't live forever except it's appointed once for a man to die then comes the judgment and if we're in christ then we live forever we have the resurrection of the dead as paul writes about if there is no resurrection of the dead then we are above all people to be most pitied but that is to say Christ was raised from the dead. Those who are in Christ will be raised from the dead just as he was. They will be given an everlasting and incorruptible body. Incorruptible here, I think, having to do with our DNA uh, having broken down since the fall and our bodies, right? Everything that has to be replenished and restocked, (laughs) replaced, uh, you know, when, when cells get wore out, Uh, we won't have to worry about that. That's how you live forever. And that's what scientists are working on even in our days, figuring out how to get cell regeneration to keep up indefinitely. If you figure that out, well, then you can live forever. And some people think, oh, that doesn't sound so great, right? But you got to remember part of what you are bringing into an assumption of what life would be like forever into the future is your prior experience. And again, this is why we don't want to read Genesis with a view to assuming that everything was from the beginning just like it is right now. It was not. It wasn't. It can't be. If it was, well, then I don't know what we're hoping for. (laughs) It's it's going to be pretty bleak, and we might have more in common with uh, the Buddhists who just say that the, the answer is to give up on all desire. Just don't want anything, and you'll never be disappointed, essentially. But here we've got Adam, 
created by God in the likeness of God, in the image of God, male and female, he created them and he blessed them and named them man. And so you've got mankind, not that females are called man, but man as the first born, uh, as the first created in mankind and as the head represents. So this is why it's not sexist. It's not you know, oppressive to say mankind, where you hear other people saying person kind or whatever. And, and it's, it's just silly. It's not oppressive. You're not discriminating in a bad way. You're discriminating in a good way to say mankind, because Adam represents both himself and his wife as the head of their unit. You know, if you take a picture of my, uh, you know, right hands, uh, thumb nail, and you say, okay, that's going to be your profile picture. It doesn't make sense, right? That's silly. You might do that if you're trying to destroy the idea, undermine the idea, mock the idea of other people having their faces as their profile pictures on social media or what have you. You might do that to to mock it, but it's not intuitive and it is corrosive and uh, you stop it. We have our faces be what represent us on an individual basis, even though you could pick literally any part of your body. And I suppose increasingly in our day, people pick uh, other parts of their body to represent them first. They, they don't put their best face forward. They put some other part of the body forward. And I think that's unfortunate, highly unfortunate. Uh, you're not really giving your face <laughs> uh, a vote of confidence there. If you pick some other part of your body and say, well, this is, this is the best part of me. Uh, or what have you. Now, your face is where your emotions, your expressions, your feelings, your thoughts are communicated more than any other part of your body. And even if you talk with your hands like I do, your face is where you communicate when you're not just uh, talking, but even when when you are talking, right? Your, your mouth is what you are using to talk. Your brain is what is controlling your hand when you write. So this is to say that it's entirely proper for you to communicate first and foremost with your head, with your face, with this part of your body. Well, so also symbolically for man to be the representative, for the first man to be representative of the entire human race, and then for him to be an actual literal man is necessary if Jesus was a man and going to represent those who are in Christ and will put on an incorruptible body in the resurrection. But if it stands to reason that man was originally created to live forever, that in Christ we will be raised to live forever with God and enjoy his goodness and his gifts and his holiness forever, that the closer you go back to you know, when the fall happened, when we started to break down, when sin entered the world, the farther back you go, the closer you are to the fall of man. It makes sense intuitively that people lived closer to forever, right? They lived longer lives because there wasn't as much corruption. Now our bodies are corrupted. Our DNA is compromised. We break down faster at a certain point, faster than our bodies are replenishing cells. And then at a certain point, vital systems just start cascading 
uh, you know, failures. And that results in, you know, physical death, bodily death. Even though we don't mourn as those who have no hope, it's still a sad thing. It's a tragic thing. It's a, a reason why a lot of people say, well, I can't believe in God because there's the problem of evil. And how could a good God create evil? How could he allow for evil? Why does he tolerate it? And the careful student of theology and Christian theology is really the only theology. Uh, more on that some other time. But Christian theology is really the only theology proper. <laughs> Everybody else is just like, yeah, no, this is what it is or I'll kill you. Um, you know, he, the, the careful student of Christian theology will say, no, God did not create evil. God created man in his own likeness, in his image. He created them and gave them a command and they disobeyed the command. And when they disobeyed the command, they brought death on themselves. In the day that you eat of the tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. And you know what? They started to die that very day. Just because they didn't drop dead like that, that doesn't mean that they didn't begin to die. They began to die. They began to break down. But here we've got Adam living for 130 years and fathering a son in his own likeness after his image. And so the same phrase is used with regards to Adam fathering Seth as is used with regards to God making man in the likeness of God. The same phrase is used in the likeness, which is very curious. But the Seth, right? The Seth character, he becomes important with how a lot of people interpret the next chapter, some of what's in the next chapter of Genesis, Genesis 6. And this is where it gets super, super fascinating. Anybody who thinks that the first several chapters of Genesis with genealogies and whatnot is boring. They're not paying close enough attention. We're not looking closely enough. If we think this is boring, there's actually quite a lot of very fascinating business being told about here. For one, men living for centuries. But then Genesis 6, check this out. When man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. Then Yahweh said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward when the sons of God came in to the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. Yahweh saw, verse 5, that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And Yahweh regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So Yahweh said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of Yahweh. So this is wild, right? This is the setup the context for basically God hitting the reset. You know, we talk these days about the great reset and the globalists and the godless who are uh, <laughs> trying to bring about communism on a worldwide scale. The transhumanists who want to incorporate technology into our bodies to where 
uh, you know, basically you, you cease to be fully human the more that you are replacing in your body, uh, you know, vital components with man-made equipment, you know, computers and hardware and uh, robotics, essentially. You become more like a robot, less like a human being. But yeah, sure, you might have some augmented abilities. Here, we have the wickedness of man being great, every intention. So not just what he does, but every intention of the thoughts of his heart, his goals, his objectives, his ambitions, what he wants is evil, only evil, continually. And God looks at this and regrets having made man. It grieved him to his heart, it says. Now, what does this mean? Now, some people, some theologians uh, have looked at this and they say, well, it just can't mean what it seems like it means. And I think that's dangerous, right? Just like with the long lives for these early generations from Adam to Methuselah and then on to Lamech and Noah, you you can't just start picking and choosing what you find easy to believe or inserting clever theories and man-made philosophy. You can't just start inserting that anywhere. It's hard for you to believe how this could be true to make it easy for yourself. You just can't do that. You need to have more humility. And I think, I dare say, you need to be willing to admit when you just don't know instead of making stuff up. Uh, we don't, right? We, we don't quite know how it can be that God would regret that he made man on the earth like it was a mistake or how God could be grieved to his heart. It says it grieved him to his heart and that he regretted that he made man on the earth. Some have said, well, it only appears that way because that's what we understand. We are emotional creatures. And to that I say, we're made in God's image. So our being emotional is not in and of itself something that distinguishes necessarily distinguishes us from God. And this is where I think some people, when they try to make it easy, they might be making it uh, insensible, right? Just like our DNA breaking down, our understanding of the whole Bible starts to break down faster and faster until the whole thing is just insensible, incomprehensible. Not the same thing as being mysterious and wondrous and hard to understand. But the earth is filled with violence, and God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. Verse 11 and 12. And so... He sends this flood, but first he speaks to Noah because Noah has found favor in God's eyes. He's a righteous man. He's blameless in his generation. That doesn't necessarily mean that he's sinless, but that his sin is not counted against him. He's a righteous man, so he's right with God, which is to say that if he sins, he repents. He turns away. He asks God for forgiveness. His heart wants to be right with God, and God gives grace to the humble. So Noah and his family are saved. But it's by faith, actually. You could say, well, it was works, right? It was works that he made the ark, and it took him 100 years, him and his family. It was works. And to that I would say, but the faith precedes the works, or else the works are dead. The faith precedes the works. 
show me your faith without works. I'll show you my faith by my works, as James, half-brother of Jesus, says, which just goes to show that Jesus uh, was not the only child that Mary had. Catholics get weird there, too, trying to hold that Mary was a perpetual virgin for the rest of her life. And I think that's just extraordinarily silly, as though it would somehow violate her virginity prior to the birth of Jesus if she ceased to be a virgin after the birth of Jesus. No, no, no. You're trying too hard. And stop it. Stop it. Just stop it. No. She had relations with Joseph, and they had other children. And those are the brothers. They're not cousins. No, no. It says brothers. If it was supposed to say cousins, it would say cousins, but it says brothers. And James is one of them, half-brother of Jesus. He says, show me your faith without works. I'll show you my faith by my works. Noah shows his faith by his works, but he's also a righteous man prior to that, blameless in his generation. The two go hand in hand. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Verse 22, wild stuff. It's wild stuff. It's absolutely wild stuff. And it's all the more wild. You think about people living for so, so long in our day. We have some scientists working on trying to make people live for longer. There have always been scientists, though, since before God sent the flood to wipe out all life on earth, except for what was on the ark. There have always been scientists devising evil and filling the earth with violence and trying to come up with new and clever and more creative ways to kill other people and the other creatures that God made besides mankind. And in our day, we have people dropping dead left and right due to heart attacks, healthy NFL players, for instance. If they don't die, they are taken to the hospital and it's a close, close call. But again, this has to do with evil and you associate the death with sin. Not always just that someone has sinned personally and that's why they're dying. Or that's why they've gotten sick. That's why they're suffering. Someone messed up. Someone sinned because death entered creation through sin. And sometimes man's sin devises violence and evil because he's been corrupted. But the good news is God will restore just like God saves Noah and his family. God also saves us in the second Adam, who is Christ. But moving on to current events, let's come back to the present and talk a bit about what's in the headlines. First of all, Commodore Vanderbilt over at Not The Bee has a piece up from yesterday. The housing market has flipped so radically that sellers are now throwing money at buyers. And that's what happens, right? That's what happens. Home sellers gave, and this is a quote from Redfin, Concessions to buyers in 41.9% of home sales in the fourth quarter, the highest share of any three-month period in Redfin's records, which date back to July 2020. That's up from just over 30% in both the previous quarter and the fourth quarter of 2021 and outpaces the prior 40.8% high from the three months ending July 2020. Uh, I think sellers are going to get increasingly desperate and they will try harder and harder and these things are closely related that the sellers are getting increasingly desperate as the buyers are decreasingly either willing or able or both to buy homes. 
That's just the way this goes. It's not necessarily a great thing if you're not in a good position to buy. I mean, all of the reasons economically that a seller is really, really, really wanting to sell their house might be all the same reasons why you're going to be hard pressed. I know that's where we're at. Grocery costs, uh, I, I think they overtake what would be uh, the money to pay down debts and build up savings. Unless there is just a really, really gangbusters year for me at work, I think that inflation is uh, it, its more than making up for the gains, unfortunately, in wages. And I hope that that changes, but there's a lot more at stake and in the equation than just wanting it to. And there's a lot more involved than just working because we have people messing with the economy and passing spending bills in the trillions of dollars, one after another after another. It's just funny money to them at this point, and it will be actually funny money to everybody, and it will stop having any value whatsoever. It'll stop being worth the paper that it's printed on unless they just go digital, in which case it, it'll stop being worth the electricity <laughs> that the diodes uh, require to light up and show you the numbers in your bank account or in the cost for something. It'll stop being worth the electricity at a certain point if there's not a turning away from the printing of money. Speaking of money and things that are not worth what they once were, Victoria's Secret CEO resigns after a year of woke campaigns with plus size and male models, according to reporting by Andrew Chapados over at the Blaze Media. Victoria's Secret CEO Amy Hawk has abruptly resigned after less than a year on the job, according to CNN. Shares dropped by 8% in the hours after the official resignation that will be finalized in March 2023, as Hawk will step down as CEO of the company's teen-oriented brand Pink of which she has been the CEO of since 2018 as well, according to Victoria's Secret website. Basically, uh, the, the story here, if you didn't know, is that the founder of Victoria's Secret, or shall we say the guy who took Victoria's Secret to the next level to where everybody knows the name of the brand, uh, he was a certain Jewish businessman from Columbus, Ohio, actually, Leslie Wexner, who wanted to prove to his father that he could be successful uh, being a, a, a merchant and being mercantile and selling clothes. And Leslie Wexner actually owned a lot of clothing brands and he was really, really good at the marketing thing and having these niche clothing brands that were targeted towards certain demographics. You know, it, basically this is going to be our target of the 20-somethings, and this will be our targeting of the children, and this will be our targeting of the middle-aged woman, and this will be our targeting of the young women or the girlfriends, fiancés, housewives who want to be uh, sexy, basically, who, who want to feel like they are desired and attractive and loved, and so they will buy our underwear Victoria's Secret underwear 
if we associate the buying of this underwear with them being desired, being objects of desire and loved and admired and all the rest. The problem for Victoria's Secret from a human standpoint, from a, you know, what went wrong in their, uh, you know, seemingly unassailable success as a company is that Leslie Wexner had very close ties with Jeffrey Epstein. In fact, Jeffrey Epstein managed Leslie Wexner's uh, estate, actually lived just across the street from him and had a, a home there. And Wexner basically let Jeffrey Epstein be who he was and do what he did until it became untenable, until it was going to damage Wexner's brand. And then he burned Jeffrey Epstein, right? Lots of very, very wealthy, powerful men around the world. The same story. They had ties to Jeffrey Epstein and they were happy to be buddies with him, to be photographed with him, to travel with him, to get together at either of their places until it came out that Jeffrey Epstein was uh, essentially a pimp to the richest, most powerful men in the world. Uh, he was a pimp. He was a, a, a slaver of sorts using underage girls who were coming to him uh, wanting to get plugged into modeling, a modeling career, uh, using them instead to take care of his friends who were actually his clients. And then he would blackmail. He would document, film, photograph these men and then use that to uh, leverage. And Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself, but this is part of what opened up Pandora's box with regards to the Me Too movement that Jeffrey Epstein and the revelations concerning him and also others, you know, others in Hollywood, uh, basically they all got piled on around the same time back in 2016 or so, because for years and years they had been abusing women and leveraging their power and their connections to uh, either rape or traffic underage girls and young women who wanted careers in modeling or in acting. And the unfortunate, scary, disturbing, infuriating thing is that the clients of Jeffrey Epstein have not been brought to justice. Now, Prince Andrew in the UK, he's no longer welcome at Buckingham Palace because of his connections to Jeffrey Epstein. Bill Gates's wife divorced him over his connections to Jeffrey Epstein, uh, who's gone to jail for having been a client of Epstein's? Anybody? Anybody? Bueller? Bueller? I don't think so. But this CEO, basically Amy Houck, uh, who has just announced that she's resigning abruptly, she wanted to completely upend Victoria's Secret's uh, brand and image publicly. Under Wexner and to some extent Jeffrey Epstein, they basically took their uh, presentation of women public and they made lingerie uh, into somehow high fashion, which it had not been regarded as before. 
women's underwear was not regarded as high fashion. They made the Victoria's Secret fashion show to try and associate lingerie with high fashion. And as such, to make it more um, palatable, to invest, to pay attention, to take interest, to make this the cool, hip, trendy thing that you would go and buy their products and give them your attention. And now, with the Me Too movement, it's become very unsexy to be sexy in the way that Victoria's Secret defined or redefined what sexy was. It's become very unsexy from a social standpoint, and therefore, anybody except <laughs> the, the kinds of folks with the kinds of body types and the kinds of bone structure and the kinds of you know posturing and sensibilities that were regarded as sexy prior to Me Too, you know, early 2010s, anybody but those kinds of people are being enlisted to try and, you, you might say redefine, but I would say abolish the old idea of sexy. To It's, a, it's not repentance, but it's, I think, a, a false kind of repentance to say, we're going to have plus size models, we're going to have transgendered persons, we're going to have uh, folks who have just bizarre looking faces. They're not particularly pretty. In fact, they're, you know, plain at best, but ugly, uh, you know, more to the point. We're going to have those people flattered in a bid to maintain relevance and look fresh and new and novel and interesting and uh, <laughs> capable of surviving in the new environment, business-wise, socially, politically. When you start hiring men to be models for Victoria's Secret and plus-size models for Victoria's Secret, it's like, okay, I think I think you should just close the doors. You should just call it. Just call it and be done. And we don't need underwear to be on giant billboards or giant TV screens or the plastered all over it's supposed to be underwear and so if it's not underwear if it's worn on the outside and that's all you're wearing then it's it's not underwear anymore it's outerwear at that point but nevertheless investors consumers both alike uh very confused just like the ceo was thinking hey this is the way to make money now uh the investors the consumers not buying it literally. And so shares are going down and, uh, you know, it's very disturbing the whole business, but you see something like this where it just gets to be crazy town. It just gets to be, you know, self-destructive at a certain point. And then the ugly truth, not sexy at all. The ugly truth is it was about making money and getting power from the beginning. You were being hacked your primal urges one way or the other, whether you're the woman who wants to look like that or you're the man who wants to be with a woman who looks like that, either way, your primal urges were being hacked and manipulated to extract something from you. And when it turns out that that's the only constant is the making of money and the getting of power over you, when that comes to light and there's not even the veneer of objective beauty and attractiveness and health or what have you, you know, 
Well, that's very ugly. That's a very ugly thing. Not at all sexy. It's a major turnoff. It's gross. And people shouldn't want to buy that. People shouldn't want, I mean, on both ends, on both ends, people shouldn't want to buy that. It should be disturbing and repulsive. And it is. Speaking of repulsive and underage persons being ensnared with sexual material and basically being uh, molested, we're not raped. Candace Hathaway over at The Blaze, January 4th, 2023. Pornographic school assignment given to child. Parents' lawsuit alleges district officials cut microphone ask for decorum when mother reads assignments content to school board. Here's some wild stuff. I'll play a little bit of audio for you from it. But before I do, just so you know what the context was, I'm looking at the final paragraph of this article, which I'll throw a link in the description for this episode so you can go and look at it for yourself. But this is gross. This is gross. And uh, what it appears to me without larger context, uh, what it appears to me is this is a bit of dialogue uh, about uh, a female person, a woman or a girl communicating to a guy who is very interested in her that she's not into boys. She likes girls. She's a lesbian. Uh, There's a lot of profanity here talking about anatomical parts and uh you know, she says, I don't love you. It's not you. It's just, you know, and I, I'll leave out what's said next. Um, basically, she's saying it, it's the fact that you're a man and I don't like that you're a man. I don't like any men for that case. I cheated Joe. We were long distance and I'm in college and me and this girl, my roommate started having some drinks and, you know, and basically, basically, this is an explicit crass, perverted paragraph of dialogue about this girl being a lesbian and not straight and not wanting to pretend that she's straight because she's actually a lesbian and she doesn't like guys. But here is a little bit of audio from Las Vegas. These parents are in Las Vegas suing CCSD over their daughter's pornographic assignment. Take a listen. Two Las Vegas parents are suing CCSD over an assignment where they say their 15-year-old daughter was required to read an expletive-laced monologue. Now, you may remember in May when the student's mom brought concerns to the Board of Trustees. That mother was reading the monologue, which included several expletives, when her mic went dead. If you don't want me to read it to you, what was that like for my 15-year-old daughter to have to memorize pornographic material and... um, and memorize it and Madam President, members of the board stats on this. The lawsuit claims CCSD and the teacher were negligent, among other allegations. CCSD does not comment on pending litigation. <clears throat> and uh, there's the reporting from KTSM. If I haven't mentioned it recently, this is why we homeschool. And this is why we homeschool. Also a book. Not just the statement that I make anytime I see a story like this. Uh, Also a book that you can buy from Amazon or Walmart or Barnes & Noble. You can buy it on e-reader or paperback. If you live in the area, you want to take a look at it, you want to borrow it, I can give you a copy. 
Uh, I'm really not trying to make money first and foremost. I am really first and foremost thinking to myself, uh, this is a matter of conviction. It's a matter of right and wrong. This is why we homeschool. Also, if I care about you, if I love my neighbor as I love myself, well, then I'm going to try and persuade my neighbor to homeschool. If he doesn't, or if he does, I'm going to try and persuade him to persevere, keep on, press on. This is why we homeschool, because I don't want my sons and my daughter being indoctrinated, being brainwashed into believing that they should be homosexuals or transgendered, that they will get more brownie points, they will get more praise, more accolades if they become a degenerate, if they become a sexual deviant than if they obey God. But that is exactly what our public schools are doing. They are incentivizing perversion and sexual immorality and wickedness and evil and sin. They are incentivizing it and they are disincentivizing. They are punishing. They are penalizing parents and students and teachers and etc. when they object, when they call for repentance, when they say, absolutely not, this is ungodly, this is wicked, this is evil. They are punishing students and their parents and their teachers if they object, because the big idea is to molest all of our children, to make them all sexual degenerates so that the Jeffrey Epstein business is no longer scandalous. That's no longer disturbing to us. It's no longer outrageous. We no longer call for justice for girls and women who were lied to, taken captive, held captive, enslaved, given drugs and alcohol and money to become prostitutes, if not sex slaves, and then disposed of when they were no longer pretty. I'm convinced that the very wealthy people who make the decisions at the top here, the elitists, why they're pushing for the grotesque is because they want to make it all the same. And what they're doing is they are not just harming their own souls, which apart from the grace of God are hellbound. They are also trying to enlist everyone else. They're doing the same thing that Satan did from the beginning. Hath God said, asking, hath God said to Eve in the garden? You know, remember that the problem here is not nudity. It's not how much skin is shown or not shown. The problem is the sin and the shame. And to just say that there is no such thing as sin. No, no, no. You don't have that authority. If you claim that authority, well, then you and God are going to have some words. And his words are going to be, depart from me. I never knew you. You worker of lawlessness, of iniquity, depart from me. I never knew you. And they'll be cast out. If you think you want to go with those guys, they'll be cast out. But they're trying to incentivize just like, you know, Victoria's Secret. When it when it all changes up dramatically from one five-year plan to the next, from unrealistic body image, oh, you know, most women aren't that tall. Most women aren't that skinny. Most women don't have that bone structure. Most women don't have time to diet and exercise just to look gorgeous. That's not fair. If it radically alters in the next five-year plan to, you can even be a dude, just put on this lingerie. As long as it sells, that's all we care about. And you figure out that the only common denominator was wealth and power for the people at the very top. Well, so also 
you've got to recognize here the incentive structure and the disincentive structure being put in place is all about wealth and power and taking it away from you if you object, if you say, no, this is ungodly. Why? Because that might gain momentum and it might bring accountability in the here and now for the Jeffrey Epstein client types, for the less Wexner types. It might bring accountability to those types. And boy, howdy, are they afraid of it because they know that it's coming. Whether it comes in this life or in the hereafter, it is coming apart from the grace of God and repentance. But repentance would also involve confession and restoring those who have been wronged to the greatest extent possible. Absent that, it's not actually repentance. It's disingenuous. It's false. It's a lie. So it's an additional sin. You're just piling on sins and transgressions to your tab, which is tall enough as it is. But here's a parent coming to the school board, and you've got to feel sorry for her and any parent in her shoes thinking, well, surely the school board doesn't know. Because if the school board knew what these kids are being forced to read, my 15-year-old daughter is being required to memorize and recite. If the school board knew, well, then they wouldn't allow this. And what do they do? They cut her mic. Why? Because they are also terrified of getting punished from the top if they don't. Having wealth and power taken away from them, either by the elites who told them this is what you're going to do, this is what you're going to require, this is what you're going to push, or from the people who bring accountability. If this mother is allowed to finish what she's saying, well, then other parents will also say what they have been meaning to say. They'll also throw in their two cents. You got to make an example of this mother and the student and the teacher and anybody else who gets in the way because we care nothing so much about virtue and godliness and goodness and justice as we do about filling our stomach with the most high quality food we can get our hands on as consistently as it suits us. Living in a nice big house, driving a nice new car, being spoken well of by men. Beware when men speak well of you, though. If that's what you're going for, well, then that's all you're going to get. You're not going to get a reward from God. And if you compromise, if you disobey God, you don't honor God, well, then you will get a very different kind of reward than what you want. If you don't believe that, well, I guess just keep on and find out. God will not be mocked. Some reporting by May Reed Elordi over at The Daily Wire from yesterday. Texas lawmaker introduces bill banning gender identity material through grade eight in public schools. The bill was presented as an improved version of Florida's parental rights bill. Let me just say the Florida bill didn't go far enough and grade eight is still not far enough. Why do we think, you know, putting the limit at eight years old, oh, you can't molest and cause one of these little ones who believe in Jesus to stumble until they're over eight years old. That's arbitrary. Why eight years old? Texas says, why eight years old? Let's make it eight grade years old. However however old you are when you get to the eighth grade, that's where it should be. And I think to myself, what is it about the number eight? Why eight years old? Why eighth grade? Or then we'll say, you know, and this is the more conservative position, but it's still not, it's still not far enough even in and of itself. You say, well, 18, right? And here again with the eights. You know, if somebody's over 18 and they make their own decisions, 
to do whatever with their bodies. And we draw the line with abortion because that's somebody else's body. Why are you even drawing the line with abortion? Most of us can't even seem to do that, it seems. I mean, we might answer a poll and say, yes, we're personally opposed to abortion, but if it would actually cost us anything to meaningfully put a stop to it, that's another thing. 18 years old, once you're over 18, do whatever, right? Do whatever you want with your body, as long as it doesn't affect me. A very libertine, libertarian notion. And yet it will, from a social, psychological, mental, emotional, political, theological standpoint, in every regard, what you do with your body will affect me and the people around you. And oh, by the way, eight years old, eighth grade, 18 years old, these are all arbitrary numbers. And when, not if, when the harder push is made to normalize, legalize pedophilia, like they have done with homosexuality and transgenderism, then parents who say no are going to have their mics cut. It, right now, it's the memorization of an explicit pornographic story in school. And if the mom reads it to the school board, she gets her mic cut. Next, it's going to be when the normalization of pedophilia occurs. If the kid agreed to it, then they'll cut the parent's mic. And this is why we homeschool, by the way. And this is why we homeschool. Eighth grade, that's why, why is it being taught in any of your schools for any age? I don't care if the kid is 18. I don't care if we're talking the local community college or the state college, the public university, where you've got the 45-year-old who wants to go back and finish their degree. Wrong is wrong. Oh, at, at a certain age, then we just shrug if you destroy yourself, you destroy your soul and someone else's. At a certain point, you've got to just fess up to the fact that you cannot help but legislate morality. You will legislate morality. Someone's morality is going to be legislated or someone's immorality will be legislated. There is no vacuum here. Nature abhors a vacuum. Someone's morality is going to fill that vacuum. And it might be Jeffrey Epstein's morality. In fact, I think it is. I think it's Jeffrey Epstein's morality that is filling the vacuum and has been for decades, for the past century. I think it's Margaret Sanger's morality that has filled the vacuum. I think it's Howard Zinn's and Saul Alinsky's morality that has filled the vacuum. The school board is not going to listen to you. The teachers are not going to listen to you. The Department of Education is not going to listen to you. Your state government is not going to listen to you. You need to listen to God. Start there. You want these authorities to recognize and respect God's authority? How about you start by recognizing and respecting God's authority? Show them how it's done. You're not willing to do that? Well, then you're a hypocrite and you're just whining. Noah obeyed God in everything he commanded because he trusted God. You say you trust God. You say you believe that God exists. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So what? Noah and his family were not saved from the flood because Noah believed that God exists. whoop de doo You believe that God exists. He wasn't saved because he got up at a school board meeting when his kids were being taught to be fruitful and uh, make Nephilim or what have you, or fill the earth with violence. And he read an assignment to the school board, which they then cut off his mic as a thank you for. 
Noah obeyed God in all that God commanded, including but not limited to making an ark, devoting a century of his life and his family's life to making an ark, into which were loaded two by two, a breeding pair at least, of every land animal. Very curious. Very curious. Texas, I mean, if they're trying to step it up over and above what Florida's was, I'm glad that Florida at least stopped it at eight years old. And Disney didn't even want that. Texas, you're doing better. Better still not good enough, though. Eighth grade, not good enough. Ban it completely, entirely. It's either totally corrupt and wrong and wicked and evil, or it's not. And every time you give the left a little bit of a morsel and say, okay, well, if you want to teach, if you want to corrupt my 15-year-old, like the mother of the daughter in Las Vegas, you want to corrupt my 15-year-old, oh, I guess, go ahead. You know what they're going to do? They're going to say, with their Jeffrey Epstein mentality, okay, hold my beer. There is no end to their imagination of how they would like to corrupt our youth. And it is satanic. Also, too, watch out. Watch out for the establishment Republican types. Watch out even for those who seem as though they're saying the right things. You know, I caveat my endorsement for Ron DeSantis because we'll see, right? We'll see. I have friends who compare America right now to a grandfather clock that is keeping time, but sliding ever closer to the staircase. Even if the pendulum swings, every time it swings back to the left, it's sliding closer and closer to the staircase. And one of these days, it's just going to topple down the staircase and be broken to pieces. And that will be the end of America. That will be the end of everything about life as you know it. It might even be the end of many of our lives. It's happened before. It happened with the flood. It actually happened with the indigenous Americans who were here before Europeans settled we're talking potentially 75, 85, 95% mortality rates, civilizational collapse. Harris Rigby over at Not the Bee. This eye-opening thread about South Dakota's Christy Nome working hand-in-hand with the transgender movement is a must-read. Nate Hochman has a Twitter thread basically outlining how one of the biggest, most powerful lobbyist groups in South Dakota, Sanford Health worked its magic along with a transgender affirming activist group, the Transformation Project, uh, worked its magic. Sanford Health worked its magic as a healthcare company to get Christy Nome, much lauded, supposed conservative governor of South Dakota, to veto a bill put forward by legislators. And it doesn't just stop with parents. You know, parents bring something to the school board, read their own assignments. It's like libs of TikTok getting banned for sharing videos of what leftists are actually saying, just in their own words. No comment, just the video itself. Little clips. Hey, they actually said this. I'm not making it up. Libs of TikTok gets banned because not that they're telling a lie, but because they are telling the truth. She, rather, the gal who is libs of TikTok, she's telling the truth. She's exposing them. They don't like the light. They like darkness because their deeds are dark and evil. Christy Nome decided, 
even though she had run as a Republican, as a conservative, talking tough, right? Little lady talks tough, wears a cowboy hat and everything, rides a horse. But they got to her. Sanford Health stands to make a lot of money doing gender reassignment surgeries, giving hormone therapy, and living off of a perpetually unhealthy, sick, miserable, dependent person who comes out of gender reassignment surgery and hormone therapy and uh, puberty blockers. Sanford Health, like Victoria's Secret, just wants to make money. That's what they want, first and foremost. Their lobbyists, their lawyers, their management, they just want to make money. And they don't care if they cut up your children. So it doesn't stop with having your child memorize an explicit paragraph about sex and homosexuality. You give them half a chance and they will literally cut your child up to make money. Because that's all they care about. These people are ghoulish and evil. And they have what's coming to them if they don't repent. This is the kind of violence that the earth was filled with prior to God saying that he regretted making man and was grieved to his heart. I'm sure of it. But meanwhile, we have a story from Luke Rosiak over at the Daily Wire, January 4th, about FBI agent Elvis Chan and the role he played in censoring conservatives on Twitter. It turns out he wrote a 149-page academic thesis, quote, social media companies and U.S. government efforts to combat Russian influence campaigns during the 2020 U.S. elections. That was his topic. He submitted this to the Naval Postgraduate School in Monterey, California, September 2021. According to reporting by Luke Rosiak, we have some takeaways here. I will not read the entire article. I'm just going to read the takeaways. You can go check it out. I'll put a link in the description for this episode. One, Chan's best evidence that the Russians made a difference in the 2016 presidential election is that the black voting rate declined from 2012, which is more readily explained by the fact that in 2012, the nation's first black president was on the ballot, which he mentions briefly, but then decides, nah, it couldn't be that. It must be the Russians, the Russians and their espionage, their propaganda efforts. Number two, Chan's thesis laid out why the FBI needs to work with social media companies as an end run around the First Amendment. And this, I will read a little quote from his thesis. Due to First Amendment constraints, federal agencies have little involvement in Americans' usage of social media. However, and this is not his words, this is Lukorosiak's words, the FBI could, quote, communicate, end quote, with social media companies and share information, the goal of which was having the social media companies take down posts that did not necessarily violate the law. See also the school board in Las Vegas cutting the mic to the concerned parent. Same song, different verse. Number three, misinformation, quote, misinformation included criticism of the FBI that was accurate. Number four, some of the examples of misinformation campaigns that Chan touted had minuscule engagement. And we're talking double digits, comments, shares, single digits, if that, uh, likes. And therefore, we 
We need this broad mandate. If we can find an ex- a single example of the Russians trying to manipulate the flow of information, then therefore we can just suspend the Constitution. Trump got in all kinds of trouble for talking about suspending the Constitution with the Twitter files being released and us finding out how Twitter and the FBI and the Pentagon and the CIA and the NSA were working together behind the scenes. Well, this guy basically was writing about it in his thesis 149-page paper in 2021 and was working behind the scenes with Twitter very, very closely to make it happen, to execute. Number five, America's woke sensibilities are what allowed Russia to exploit it. And this is a quote from Luke Raziak's reporting. Social media companies allow ad buyers to target viewers based on race, ethnicity, and self-identity, which allowed Russia to use Facebook and Instagram to target specific demographic groups, Chan wrote in his thesis. So basically, we created the vulnerabilities. You know what would be better than suspending people's First Amendment rights to communicate about current events, political candidates in the public square? Uh, Scale back the wokeness. You want to talk about Russian MDM, critical theory, critical race theory? That's the real concern. The concern is not the Russians. The concern is the Marxist ideology, first and foremost, which Russia fell for hook, line, and sinker. Uh, about a century ago. Number six, Chan wanted American schools to indoctrinate, so they are more like Soviet ones. Although, you know, in, in reading closely what the quote is here, I don't know if it's Soviet countries or former Soviet countries. I don't know. I would need to read the rest of Chan's thesis here. But he talks about former Soviet bloc countries, and this is a quote, appear to have relatively informed and resilient electorates because media literacy and critical thinking are indoctrinated into their entire education and news media ecosystem, end quote. But here's the problem, right? Here's the problem. One, America already has, if not the lowest, one of the lowest trust in media percentages of any country surveyed, including Eastern European countries. We are already near the very, very bottom. Also, What Chan was doing, trying to censor conservatives on Twitter, working with Twitter to censor conservatives under the claim that this is Russian disinfo, misinfo, malinfo, that actually works direct opposite your stated goal, which is to increase our ability to double check news. We're supposed to get all our news from the corporate media, corporate news media, social media giants, whatever they, what if you guys fall victim to the Marxist propaganda. And we can't say anything. You've silenced us because you were told you were threatened with reprisals, loss of wealth and power, disincentives for holding to your principles, sound principles. You silenced us. Meanwhile, the actual misinfo, disinfo, malinfo is coming from the corporate media types pushing for Democrats to get elected and establishment types to get elected and to get their way. And now we can't fact check. We can't disagree. We can't contradict. We can't question. We can't counter the narrative at all because if you're like me, you can't even actually get on Twitter anymore. I literally cannot get on because I tweeted to Chris Jolly Hale from Tennessee with all due respect at Chris Jolly Hale. What a retarded thing to say. I'm still not able to get on Twitter And by the way, I wrote a follow-up email to Twitter the other day asking what the status of my appeal is. 
saying, I've got screenshots. I can provide screenshots. I was not buying, selling, or facilitating the transfer of illegal goods and services on Twitter. That is absolute nonsense. If you said my using the word retarded was obnoxious or rude, then maybe, okay, we can discuss that. You might be right. But you need to restore my account and apologize for claiming that I was somehow engaged in illicit activities on the platform in violation of your terms of service. Where did that claim come from? Where did that allegation come from? And why no action? Why no response? You had one job, which is to read my appeal. I mean, you guys may be busy, but you're that busy? You turned down my appeal within a few minutes of the first. And now March 26th makes a year. You still haven't gotten around to answering me? Really? Uh, Number seven, Chan does not seem to like Donald Trump. Luke Raziak writes, his thesis said that anti-immigrant rhetoric was, quote, a hallmark of the Trump campaign. Trump is married to an immigrant, by the way. And that, quote, Putin may have sensed that Donald Trump's rise as a legitimate candidate offered an avenue to advance his anti-American agenda, end quote. He complains that not enough Americans listened when the government told the public that Russia was working against Democrats. The suggestion that Americans didn't hear about the idea that Russia was backing Trump is dubious to begin with. We all heard about it. We all heard it. And actually, it did not stick in large part because our biggest concern when it comes to MDM is the mainstream corporate media and what the social media companies throw little notices on, what they shadow ban, what they suspend over. We don't trust you people because you've lied to us day after day like it's breathing. We heard, we heard, we weren't convinced that Trump was a Russian agent. And the FBI had years of investigating, looking for evidence. If there was evidence, we would have seen it. There wasn't evidence. And so they just move on to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. Because what is really important to them is getting and keeping wealth and power for themselves. That's when everything else changes. It was this scandal five minutes ago, and that didn't stick. So now it's this scandal over here, and we'll see if that works. And in the meantime, the process is the punishment, costly litigation, investigations, scandal. None of them have to be true. None of them have to stick for you to have destroyed what he was trying to do, destroyed his life. It's evil. It's evil. Moving on, though. Representative Cori Bush from Missouri far-left Democrat, black woman, strong black woman, as they would say, lashes out at black Republican nominated for speaker, calling him a prop who perpetuates white supremacy. Reporting by Carlos Garcia from January 4th over at The Blaze. He is a black man, young black man, but a Republican. And so he's a prop. He is perpetuating white supremacy Because white here is not about skin color. Actually, it's about politics. It's about your convictions. It's about your principles. He is a prop who perpetuates white supremacy, regardless of whether he's a black man. And that doesn't count in the favor of Republicans, that they would nominate a black man to be Speaker of the House. All that counts is their politics. That's what's really objected to. I'm increasingly convinced after reading Orlando Feige's A People's Tragedy 
I'm increasingly convinced that whiteness actually is the commies here in America thinking back to the principal opposition that they had taking over Russia. You had, you had the Reds, who were the communists, and you also had the whites. And they're all white, right? Everybody in Russia is white. But the whites, it was kind of like the red versus blue here in the United States, where we've got Democrats represented by the blue color, even though they used to be represented by the red color. You've got Republicans represented by the red color, even though they used to be represented by the blue color. Red versus blue here in Russia, prior to the takeover of the Soviets and the communists, the Bolsheviks, it was the reds versus the whites. And the whites were the holdovers for the czars. They wanted to, basically, they, they wanted to conserve the czarist traditions of Russia. And they were referred to by the color white, as opposed to the reds. I think that might be more close to what Cori Bush is getting at when she calls this nominee for Speaker of the House, who is a black man, a prop for white supremacy. Speaking of Donald Trump and the Speaker of the House, Matt Gates <laughs> yesterday uh, had a unusual and surprising pick, he announced. If you didn't catch it, take a listen. Gates. Trump. <laughs> I don't care who you are. That is a funny thought. That is a very funny thought. And, uh, you know, I would sooner, I would sooner have Donald Trump as Speaker of the House just for pure entertainment value. And I, I'm just, I'm curious, right? I'm just curious what would happen there. Uh, I would sooner have him than Kevin McCarthy. The more I look into this and think about it, uh, I'm not a fan of the Kevin McCarthy option. And actually, the opposition folks are winning me over. I was undecided at first, and you can go back a couple of episodes when I talked about this. I played a little bit of audio from Matt Gates nominating Jim Jordan from Ohio, and then I played some audio from Jim Jordan saying that he wants everybody to go with Kevin McCarthy. I said, I don't know. I don't know what'll happen. I don't know what I think of this. And I thought about it, and I kept paying attention. And actually, the Freedom Caucus, as they're called, the 20 or so Republicans who are refusing to vote for McCarthy, um, I think they're winning. I, I think they're winning. I could be wrong, but I, I think they're winning. And I think that the Kevin McCarthy establishment types, who we need to be tired of if we're not yet, uh, I think they're losing. And it's not a good look. This is, this is crazy how many votes they have gone through at this point. But I also hear what the Republicans in the House Freedom Caucus are being called, and it is not uh, endearing me to the folks doing the name-calling at all. Some reporting by Tim Meads, who's actually had a couple of really, really good ones over at the Daily Wire on this. If you haven't checked him out, do. I like his take on this much better than I like Ben Shapiro's. Ben Shapiro, I, I, I watched, and actually he, uh, he, he convinced me all the more that I don't think Kevin McCarthy is the right guy. Uh, because he, he basically, in his recent program, I watched and listened to a couple of days ago, said that uh, this is just politics. What's your plan, guys? What's your plan? House Freedom Caucus, what's your plan? This is stupid. This is bad. This is dumb. You know, he likes Chip Roy. He likes Jim Jordan. He likes some of these other conservatives. But 
what are you doing? Like, really? Like, what? where is this going? What are your demands? What do you want? Who do you think actually is going to be speaker if it's not Kevin McCarthy? And I hear that and I think to myself, you know what? No, there's been too much. There's been too much of the saying, well, this is just politics. When your party wins, despite having abandoned conservatives who were running as Republicans who could have won with your support because you are the establishment and you don't want them adding to the size of the House Freedom Caucus, for instance, you know, your your party wins anyways, a slim majority in the House of Representatives. And now everybody just has to go with the establishment pick because it's his turn to be Speaker of the House. No, that's just politics, right? It doesn't matter if you like it, doesn't matter if it matches your principles in any way, shape, or form, you need to get in line. Um, ooh, is that the best you got? Is that the best argument you can make? Ben Shapiro? I, I love Ben Shapiro, but that's a bad argument. That's how it starts. That's how it starts. Oh, they're going to cut my microphone if I get up there and actually read the assignment they gave my 15-year-old daughter, so I'm not even, I'm not even going to go up. I'll look for some other way. You know what? At some point, you do need to go up and read the assignment and let them cut your microphone because that's not a good look for them. And if the House Freedom Caucus did have specific demands on the front end that Kevin McCarthy said no to one after another because they're contrary to the same kinds of interests that got to Christy Noem in South Dakota, the same kinds of interests, but in every other facet of the economy and society not just here in the U.S., but all over the world. Oh, I'm sorry. I am sorry, but actually, I think more is to be gained from the gridlock and the debate and this continuing on. I say we need more of this, not less of it, if that's your best argument, Ben Shapiro. But the reporting by Tim Meads, I think, is much, much better, actually. Far-right kooks, lunatics, terrorists, anarchists, all the names the GOP establishment has called the House Freedom Caucus over the years. So much for, we're all one big happy family and we need to stick together and get in line and unity and you got to put the party first. It's selective. It's a one-way street. It's like a dysfunctional family when the one, and I know something about this, when the one member of the family says, this is unacceptable, this is wrong, this is corrupt, this is bad, this is hypocritical, this is not according to sound principles, this is not godly, it's not wise, it needs to stop. In a dysfunctional family, you don't get to talk then about the dysfunction because the dysfunction is now fully occupied with shutting you up for having dared to talk about what we don't talk about in this family. We don't go there. We don't call for repentance in this family. The Republican Party looks like a dysfunctional party right now because it is a dysfunctional party. And so actually, to the Freedom Caucus members' point, maybe it is better that this stuff gets brought out into the open because we're never going to make any progress whatsoever in a real genuine sense, in a C.S. Lewis talks about progress sense, unless we turn around and go the right direction again. We're not going in the right direction. Mitch McConnell, Kevin McCarthy types are not taking us in the right direction. They haven't been taking us in the right direction. The so-called Respect for Marriage Act and the omnibus spending package passing with Republican help? No, 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 no. 
Nope. You can either have everything grind to a halt right now or keep on. Mess around and find out. Here is a bit of audio with Tucker Carlson and Dan Crenshaw's comments on all of this back and forth. First, a bit of audio from Dan Crenshaw, who I've liked in the past, but boy howdy, is he giving himself a black eye, no pun intended, in my way of thinking, with his response to the Freedom Caucus. Freedom is costly. You know that. Here is first Dan Crenshaw characterizing his fellow Republicans in the House as terrorists, and then Tucker Carlson's response. Yet today, Congressman Dan Crenshaw of Texas, a surrogate for Kevin McCarthy, did. In fact, he did what neocons always do. He labeled anyone who doesn't like a terrorist. Watch. Those of us are saying, like, look, you pushed us into this corner, so now we're, now we're saying we won't vote for anyone but McCarthy. That's why we're saying it, because we cannot let the terrorists win. Oh, they're terrorists now. It's hard not to see the connection, because over the past few years, pretty much every part of the war on terror has been turned against the domestic political enemies of the neocons. So now they're just coming out and telling you what they told you about Iraq. Either you're with us or you're against us. You're on the side of light or darkness. You're good or evil. Dan Crenshaw went all the way, as neocons always do. He proceeded to go to CNN to call his political opponents enemies of the state. Looking for a little Soviet-style politics? Watch this. This handful of members is um, uh, very clearly looking for notoriety over principle. And that's what it is. And anyone who suggests differently is um, in, in some kind of make-believe fantasy reality. But if you're a narcissist, if you're a narcissist and you believe that your opinion is so much more important than everyone else's, then you'll keep going. And you'll threaten to tear down the team for, for the benefit of the Democrats just because of your own sense of self-importance. That's exactly what's happening here. We will not vote for anyone else but McCarthy. These people think they're stubborn or more stubborn. They think they're not going to get the communities they want. Well, obviously they won't, but it's going to be so much worse than that. You know, they are enemies now. So you may like Kevin McCarthy or not. Both are allowed. But no matter how you feel, you have to acknowledge, if you're being honest, that people who don't like Kevin McCarthy have a reason for that. They have real concerns, real issues. But you'll notice that Dan Crenshaw didn't address any of those, none of them. Instead, he impugned their motives, their character, their intelligence, their moral standing. They're narcissists. In fact, and we're quoting, they are enemies now. Now, what you just saw, as Dan Crenshaw spoke, what you just saw is the snarling face of the donor class. Ooh. <laughs> well, <clears throat> Carlson might be right. Tucker Carlson might be right. I am inclined to agree that this is the snarling face of the donor class. Why? Because the donors have business interests. That's why they give in all too many cases to who they give to. Also, <clears throat> they have social interests and their kids go to a lot of the same schools that the Democrats' uh, biggest donors send their kids to. You know, they go to the same parties, they attend the same clubs, they have to sit down and make business deals. This has been a problem for the Republican Party since the first Civil War, and it, it is always the case. Like I was telling my oldest son last night, and he was asking me about this whole business with uh, Kevin McCarthy. I posted a meme, right? That's what it was. I posted a meme 
to Facebook that my cousin Brent had sent me. Select all images with speakers, and it's like one of those CAPTCHA, uh, you know, quizzes that shows you a whole bunch of pictures, and you're supposed to pick the ones that have this or that in them to prove that you're not a, a bot, you are a human being. Select all the images with speakers. There are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven speakers that are selected, and they are actual speakers like home stereo, car stereo portable Bluetooth speakers. And then there's two pictures of Kevin McCarthy, which are not selected because he is not the speaker. (laughs) So it's very funny. It's very funny. But I was explaining it to my son, my oldest son. And I said, you know, this has been a problem for the Republican Party since the beginning that the conservative is not always the one who says they're a conservative. And actually, we have to ask the hard question of what are we conserving, right? What are you actually conserving? Just like the whole business with a progressive. What is a progressive? If you ask C.S. Lewis, progress is not going the wrong direction. The most progressive man is not the one who just keeps on going down the road that he thought was progress when it turns out he's going the wrong direction. The most progressive man is the man who turns around and goes back if he missed his turn. If he's lost, also also with conservatives, if the status quo right now for the past 15 years, 23 years is the status quo of gay marriage, LGBTQ, controlling uh, our morality in the public square, the left, the radical left getting to do violence and cause property damage and set American cities on fire. But if a Republican says no, well, then there are terrorists and enemies. I mean, what is, what is Dan Crenshaw even saying when he says it's going to be so much worse for them? Now, you, you not getting a spot on the committee? Yeah, that, no, that's, it's going to be so much worse than that. Like what? Like what? They're enemies? They're enemies. They're terrorists? And then, you know, he got called out on that. Like, what are you talking about, Dan Crenshaw? And he says, oh, it was a figure of speech. Grow thicker skin. You know, in in regards to Tucker Carlson, he didn't especially like what Tucker Carlson had to say about his comments. But, yeah, figure of speech. Um, you, You can only play that card. It was just a metaphor. It was a figure of speech. You can only play that so long and to such and such an extent. You label your colleagues, your fellow Republicans as terrorists, narcissists. You're trying to destroy their reputation because they're getting in the way of you coronating Kevin McCarthy. Mm. You know, you, you might actually be making a really strong case for these guys winning something by prolonging this. I actually... I. You know, at first I would have said, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what their end goal is or what they stand to gain or what the benefit is, what the upside is to them continuing on their opposition to Kevin McCarthy. Increasingly, I'm thinking, I actually, I think they're winning. I think this is Mr. Smith goes to Washington. Another really great Frank Capra and Jimmy Stewart film. Not just uh, It's a Wonderful Life did they work together on. Also, Mr. Smith goes to Washington. I think this is Mr. Smith goes to Washington. 
But instead of Jimmy Stewart being all by his lonesome, I think it's the House Freedom Caucus as Jimmy Stewart. The Denver Post has a piece by Conrad Swanson from January 4th. Lauren Boebert bucks Donald Trump's push for a Kevin McCarthy speakership. The former president endorsed Boebert for her latest congressional bid, which she won by a narrow margin. Good. I'm glad that someone demonstrates their ability to actually represent the folks that they're elected to represent in a more conservative way. This is very Burkean, uh, actually, to tell the people who sent you to Parliament or Congress, House of Representatives, to D.C., to wherever, just because you voted for me, that does not necessarily mean I'm going to just do whatever you say. When you say jump, I say how high from here on out. No, no, I'm not a puppet. I represent you. Like Adam represents Eve, even when they don't agree. Like Adam represents the entire human race, actually. That kind of representation. And as such, when these reps win by a lot or a little, if they are not doing so according to their conscience, the dictates of their conscience, and we hate them for that, we call them enemies for that, we call them terrorists for that. I mean, wait a second, wait a second. Don't we want more of the doing according to the dictates of your conscience? Not less? Don't, why is it 200 to 20 in favor of just go with it? Let it happen, to quote the Tame Impala song that I played for our intro music at the top of this episode. Just go with it. By the way, a little bit on that song. I stumbled across it the other day, randomly. I found a YouTube video being promoted in my feed. This YouTube video where the person putting it out there had reduced the frequency. He'd manipulated the audio a little bit and then posted that as a standalone video. And I listened to the music and I thought, man, this is really odd. And I did a little bit more digging and I looked up the music video for it, like the original official music video. And it's this guy, obviously late to catch his plane, running across the airport, sweating, looking anxious, looking unwell. And then all of a sudden he collapses due to a heart attack. And the whole video is just let it happen. Just let it happen, which is just die. Give in. Give in to death. Go ahead and die. It's a disturbing song. Haunting lyrics, haunting music video, haunting music. It's going to feel so good to just die and just call it. Ooh, ooh, woo. How's your walk with God going? <laughs> uh, those who hate me love death. Uh, there's no mention of God here at all. If I don't come back, tell my mom I'm sorry. Ooh, this is, this is dark. Just let it happen. Let the country destroy itself and be destroyed. Give up on your convictions. Allow your microphone to be cut. Vote the party line, no matter what, even if you firmly believe that the party is destroying the country, is complicit in destroying the country if it goes this direction. Vote the party line anyways. But why? Just let it happen. But why? How's your walk with God going? If that's what we're on board for, if that's what we're pushing for, how's, how's our walk with God going? If Noah had had that mentality, would he have obeyed God when they mocked him, when they scoffed at him? He was a preacher of righteousness in his generation. He would have been filling the earth with violence just like everyone else. 
and we wouldn't be here. Another report by Tim Meads over at the Daily Wire. Can everybody calm down over the speaker's race? Debate is good. Gridlock is essential. I don't even need to read the rest of the article just to see that headline and think, thank you, Tim Meads. Hats off to you. Hats off to you. The political class is in hysterics, he writes, because the GOP has been forced to debate over who should lead Congress, Representative Kevin McCarthy, Republican from California, or another Republican. It appears that the negotiations are now at a stalemate. 20 Republicans held out on Tuesday from supporting McCarthy and in turn were compared to petulant children and even the Taliban, according to some reports. Their demands vary from selecting a more conservative speaker focused on fiscal spending and social issues. Some, such as Chip Roy, have more specific requests involving votes on items such as term limits and border security, among other things. Ben Shapiro says, yeah, but if you're the Speaker of the House, you don't bring legislation to the floor that doesn't have the votes. And I would say, but what if it does have the votes? And you don't bring it because that's the whole reason why you need to be the Speaker of the House so you can kill important legislation. Or option two, if you don't bring legislation to the floor because it doesn't have the votes, but that is objectively good legislation that needs to be voted on and the American people, the constituents of these elected representatives want that legislation Bring it to the floor so we can see whether our representative would vote for it if they had the chance. It's still a win, even if you put them on the spot and force them to show their true colors. Like the South Dakota legislation that Christy Nome vetoed. You know what? We are the better that the South Dakota legislature didn't cave into probably some phone calls and some private conversations off the record from the office of the governor, I'm going to veto this if you pass it. It's for the better that they passed it anyways, and they sent it to her desk, and she had to veto it. Put her on the spot, make her show her true colors, so we can find out who is actually on the right side of history. Who fears God? Choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of Egypt or Yahweh God. Choose this day whom you will serve. Put them on the spot. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. If there is still a wandering in the desert for 40 years while that whole generation is killed off, remember who was able to enter into the kingdom. In this case, the land of Canaan. We hope for a better kingdom. It was the two. It was the two spies who took their life in their hands to say, no, we can do it. That was also a 10 to 1 against, or a 10 to 2, I suppose you could say. We've got 20 Republicans who say, nope, not doing it, not voting for Kevin McCarthy. We've got 200 Republicans who are saying, yeah. In Dan Crenshaw's case, you know what? I'm going to vote for Kevin McCarthy even harder now. <laughs> oh, you might be getting a little myopic there. No pun intended. Some last little updates here. One from the Daily Wire. House adjourns for night after speaker race reaches double-digit ballots for first time since before Civil War. Which is to say, it has reached double digits before. Uh, not since the 36th Congress, which stretched from 1859 through 1861, had there been a number of votes in the double digits during that drawn out process, William Pennington, Republican from New Jersey, emerged victorious after 44 votes, the most votes ever taken 
get this, get this, was 133. The process took nearly two months, according to the Washington Post. That was in the 34th Congress from 1855 to 1857. And this could be foreshadowing, and this could be the rumblings of what comes next, that we have not had this fractious of a process to pick a speaker since shortly before the first American Civil War. This could be foreshadowing that we have another civil war coming. And I hear mentions of that here and there. You know, if, if unity is all that the Republicans who are voting for Kevin McCarthy care about, why don't they go ahead and unify on the conservatives? Because the conservatives need to be actually the ones in charge. Clearly. They're demonstrating leadership in the right direction. You can lead 200 people off a cliff. But if 20 are saying, absolutely not, and they have the strength of their convictions, maybe you guys unify on them. If they like Byron Donalds, go with Byron Donalds, the Republican from Florida that Cory Bush says is just a prop. If they like Kevin Hearn, okay, unify on Kevin Hearn, Republican from Oklahoma. I still think Jim Jordan would be a better option, but this is not unprecedented. There's also some analysis from the Daily Wire. There's nobody's name on it, so maybe this was a group effort, and that's the whole point. Also, the last one, there's no name on it, just news. But 1793 to 2023, an overview of contested speaker elections. Now, here's a very, very curious thing, and I quote, the ongoing battle for the office of Speaker of the House crossed another historical milestone today as Republican leader Kevin McCarthy came up short once again in the 11th round. The election for Speaker has not gone past one ballot in the last 100 years. And I actually think that's for the worst. I think that's for the worst. I think that says something about the unhealth of our political process, that there is no debate really publicly. It's all deals cut behind closed doors. No, no. Bring those out of here. Let's have those debates out in the public, actually. Like when my kids get super quiet in the other room. Oh, hey, what are you guys doing? Why, why is this a closed door? Why is this a quiet meeting? What, what are you guys getting into? Usually it's trouble. So also the past hundred years of American political history. Ballots have not reached into double digits since the Civil War. Despite the political melodrama, contested elections for speaker are not unprecedented in American history. Fully one third of the first 30 Congresses did not select their Speaker of the House on the first ballot, although the majority of these contests were settled in the second or third round. Only four lasted into the double digits and only two took more ballots than the election of 2023. In 1819, the Speaker was decided on the 22nd ballot and in 1821, the contest was decided in the 12th round. And you know what? If that's how many it takes, then that's how many it takes. If it takes... 22, so be it. If it takes 133, then it takes 133. Perhaps it would be better for us to go back to actual debate. Imagine it. Between 1849 and 1860, half of all Congresses failed to elect a speaker on the first ballot. And also, too, I mean, this is important to note that these are representatives, and so they are representing a very real divide in America. They are. They are right now. They're not just setting an example and holding up business from regular order and all that. No, no. They are actually representing the dysfunction in America and the sellout quality 
to the kind of conservatism which the donor class, as Tucker Carlson calls them, is happy to continue embracing indefinitely ad infinitum as long as they've got a getaway plan, as long as they've got a safe room, let the good times keep on a rolling is what seems to be the order of the day. This is going to be the last thing that I leave you with. This, a bit of audio from Rep. Matt Rosendale from my home state of Montana. I know people who know Rosendale personally, and they speak highly of him, think highly of him. Here is almost three minutes of comments from Matt Rosendale regarding this whole business around the Speaker of the House. Take a listen. We have had more discussion and debate over the last three days than I have participated in on this floor for the last two years. And it's healthy. It absolutely promotes the collegiality that everyone is striving to obtain. We're having discussions not just within our own party, but amongst each other as we walk around and start planning for the legislation that we will need to address over the next two years in the 118th Congress that sooner or later, yes, sooner or later, we will begin to function as. Those are the good days. And guess what? Our constituents think, as they watch us on C-SPAN today, that this is how every day functions. They think that this is how every bill gets addressed in this body. And they will be shocked to learn the ones that you have not disclosed the little nasty secret to, that unfortunately, that's not how it works around this place. That under the current rules and under the current leadership construction, that on fly-in days, typically Monday at the beginning of the week, the leadership on both sides of the aisle negotiate a number of bills, 15 to 20 pieces of legislation that one Democrat and one Republican stand on this floor. They discuss momentarily, and then they say the magic words, without objection, we will pass this by unanimous consent. And there are two people standing on the floor passing pieces of legislation that oftentimes are the naming of buildings that don't really bother anybody or affect one's life, but in many circumstances spend millions and tens of millions of dollars that the taxpayers are obligated to cover and their representative was not even here to vote upon it. And that, my friends, is wrong. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is. Rosendale is right. Matt Rosendale is right. He's right. It's wrong. It's wrong. And so we actually, uh, I'm increasingly convinced we need more of this, not less. I'll leave you with this audio from Matt Rosendale to think about, to ponder. Also, too, just briefly, 
the members list. Assuming this is accurate and up to date, in case you're curious, from legistorm.com, HFC stands for House Freedom Caucus, the organization's own description, self-description. The House Freedom Caucus gives a voice to countless Americans who feel that Washington does not represent them. We support open, accountable, and limited government, the Constitution, and the rule of law, and policies that promote the liberty, safety, and prosperity of all Americans. Members include Scott Perry from Pennsylvania. He's the chairman. Dan Bishop from North Carolina. Josh Brasheen from Oklahoma. Ben Klein, Virginia. Andrew Clyde, Georgia. Scott Desjardins from Tennessee, Jeff Duncan, South Carolina, Bob Good, Virginia, Mark Green, Tennessee, Morgan Griffith, Virginia, Diana Harshbarger, Tennessee, Mike Johnson, Louisiana, Debbie Lesko, Arizona, Alex Mooney, West Virginia, Troy Nehis, Texas, Gary Palmer, Alabama, Matt Rosendale, Montana, David Schweikert, Arizona, Tom Tiffany, Wisconsin, Andy Biggs, Arizona, Lauren Bobert, Colorado, Ken Buck, Colorado, Michael Cloud, Texas, Warren Davidson, Ohio, Byron Donalds, Florida, Russ Fulcher, Idaho, Paul Gosar, Arizona, Marjorie Taylor Green, Georgia, Andy Harris, Maryland, Clay Higgins, Louisiana, Jim Jordan, Ohio, where I've spent about half my life. My wife grew up there. I'm glad Ohio does produce some good and decent people <laughs> like Jim Jordan when it comes to our House of Representatives. Mary Miller, Illinois, Barry Moore, Alabama, Ralph Norman, South Carolina, Bill Posey, Florida, Chip Roy, Texas, Greg Stube, Florida, Randy Weber, Texas. Again, I'll say, I don't know that that's an accurate list now uh, anymore, but presuming that it is, an accurate list. Uh, you know, I think that these representatives maybe should just keep on going. Mr. Smith goes to Washington. It may be, but I got to run. Speaking of going, I got to get to work. It's a Friday. We've got biblical training group tonight. We need to get ready for it. We need to get the house ready. I need to finish preparing to facilitate discussion. We've got cleaning to do and making of treats and and outlined the right. Tonight's topic is the Trinity, which should be very interesting. I pre-watched the lecture and uh, it's good. It's, it's good. The Trinity also very difficult to understand like many things in the Bible, but don't take the easy way out. Sometimes you need to embrace a mystery as being true, even if you don't know how, particularly, if not only, when God says this and this, life is full of mysteries. Humility has us going to God asking for wisdom and the grace to make the most of the time that we have. May we do so to God's glory, to one another's benefit, loving one another as we love ourselves, loving God with everything that's in us. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. 
You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. Thank you.